Future Hacker Life Path Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taigi, and today we are talking to Valentina Cordi. Valentina is a certified mindset and high performance coach for executive teams and entrepreneurs, international motivational speaker, TEDx speaker, and an author. She has 10 years of experience as an executive and business coach, having coached business persons and C level executives from SMEs up to big multinational companies such as Microsoft, Novartis, Coke. Unilever and others worldwide to achieve their corporate and professional goals, build their leadership skills and manage effectively change individual and team level by changing their mindset and behaviors. After having worked herself for 15 years an executive in multinational companies, her book called Success is a Mind Game has become a bestseller. In 2020, she is listed in ICAP Group's Leading Women of Business in Greece for 2020, and recently she was awarded with the International Women of Courage 2021 Award from the International Human Rights Advisory Council, a member of the United Nations Global Compact, which is dedicated to Mother Teresa. In December 2021, she received the Brains 500 Global Award by Brain Magazine, and was honored to be listed on the list of 500 companies and influential leaders who are recognized for their entrepreneurial success, achievements, and dedication to helping others. Among exceptional business personalities such as Oprah, Jessica Alba, Mel Robbins, and others. Valentina, it's such an honor to have you with us today. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. It's an honor to be here as well, and... It was a long introduction, I have to. Congratulations for the many achievements. And, you know, I'm really looking forward for our interview today. We have a lot to talk about, but, you know, I'd like to begin, you know, the way we usually do, which is talking about your journey. What you think that helped you be where you are today? What I found it's interesting from your story is that many times... We're talking to guests that, you know, they think that they they have either they're thankful for their family support or maybe they had the privilege to get a great education or they were just lucky to have met a mentor in the professional life. But your case is different. And your case for sure is similar to many, many others. I think that the few lucky ones get to have a better mentorship so I think it's so nice to share your case just as a motivation for people that find themselves in the very similar situation as you grew up. So could you please share us your story? Yes. Uh, well, my story is pretty simple, I would say. I'm a self-made uh, solopreneur. I started out of nothing. I grew up in a small city in Greece, which is called Volos. My achievement is that uh, I went against the status quo. <laughs> I did everything in a different way. I always searched for things that are not ordinary, not because I wanted to, to do something different, but because uh, what I have been offered was very limited. 
and full of limitations. So I grew up in an environment in which the dreams were really limited. And because they wanted to be protective, my parents tried to discourage me from dreaming bigger. But my only way out of the reality I used to live in was to dream of different things. Like, for example, back then in the 90s, things like distance learning, education, or working uh, remotely from home, etc., wasn't something uh, realistic. And I used to be called a daydreamer. I used to be called crazy in some cases. But my, my only way to escape the reality that I was offered was to dream and to, to believe that there must be another way. So I followed that other way and so as to keep my story realistic. I don't want to talk <laughs> big words and promise things that are not real. This road is very difficult. It's not that I didn't through my my route till I, I reach where I am at the moment. I met many difficulties. I had many obstacles. I had many doors sliced on my face. So it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. But I'm happy to say that nowadays I live my life in my own terms, personally, but mostly professionally, since we, we talk about the professional sector. And it was worth all the, all the effort. I'm sure it was. You're, you're the example of having the strength coming from within, which I absolutely admire. So congratulations. You also, as I mentioned in your introduction, you published this book called Success is a Mind Game, right? What moved you to write it? Like in which phase of your life have you made the decision? Did you have anything that happened to you that you said, okay, now it's time to do that? And if you could give us, you know, a glimpse, some taste. As I told you, it's not easy to go against the status quo. And sometimes you fall into the trap of following what is ordinary. So through my life, I was dancing between following the normal path. So maybe pushing myself to want things that I didn't really desire. And on the other hand, having this desire of achieving different things. So... I could see myself that in some cases that were pretty challenging, like, for example, dreaming my own things, I would manage those impossible things. And in other cases, there were things that were pretty easy, goals that were pretty easy, but because actually they weren't my own goals, they were somebody else's goals, the society's goals, the reasonable person's goals, <laughs> I would mess up. I would sabotage the outcomes. I wouldn't be my best self. Then there came a time that I was really confused and I was really dissatisfied and I felt uh, dissatisfaction with the results I got and whatever I did that time that was working in multinational companies as a manager of administration. And I, I just took a break and I thought, okay, why is this happening to me? Why do I sometimes succeed, although these goals might be very challenging and difficult, and other times, in, in simple things, I mess up. And then I sat down with myself, and I understood that the difference was that, first of all, in the first case, that I had successful outcomes, 
the core of the situation was a huge desire, something that I couldn't wait to fulfill. And based on that, I saw what other soft skills I was using to reach to that successful outcome. So as I told you, I grew up in a difficult situation with almost nothing apart from a home, food on the table, my family support in a way that actually was too protective and the way that all the time fear would come in front. So I had to make something out of nothing. I would become very creative. I would become uh, very resourceful. So that was a great skill that I used to, to use in those cases that I wanted to achieve the impossible. And I also understood that having the control of your emotions is very important. And some other skills that I wrote down and I created those nine steps that led me to succeed in whatever I wanted to achieve. And actually, this, this is the main topic of my book, how to follow my own nine steps in order to, to succeed. And this is why I call it success is a mind game, because at the core of each person's success, and especially if I talk about me, at the core of my own success is my mindset. I thought of things from a different perspective, and this is what I continue to do so in order to keep achieving whatever is important to me. Great, based on your own experience. So I'm curious, what's your what's your very own definition of success? And I like the way you put it, right? Because it's not uh, this generic thing that you, you hear from the market, you know, this is how success should look like. It's something that each person will have your own definition. So how, how, how would you define it? Uh, my definition is, again, very simple, because from uh, what you know so far from uh, also the conversation we, we have before the interview. I love simplicity. So for me, success is going to bed at night, feeling happy and fulfilled for what you worked on during the day, no matter how challenging or how difficult it was. And then looking forward to waking up in the morning and continue moving forward with your dream and your goals. This is success to me. So basically you're making it more tangible, right? On a daily basis is something that, uh, because if you just put it very far away, then it's really easy to be frustrated about it, right? And you end up not celebrating the small wins of the day to day, right? Exactly, exactly. It is very important, first of all, to have a bigger picture of who you want to be and how you want your life to be. Life in general and professional life more specific. If you have those two guides, then the goals you set are aligned with these guides and they get you every day closer and closer and closer towards this bigger idea, this, this vision, if you want to describe it as a vision. Um, and setting small goals for me is very important because this gives this special flavor in life. I need to have something to look forward and it shouldn't be that far away. It needs to be something 
daily, something weekly, something that I know I have right now to fulfill. It's very important to me. You know, um, Valentina, there's something that I'd love to know your take on it, because I know that I think that I heard you using at some point the term human-centered leadership, right? So we've been hearing a lot about the term like human-centered leadership or human-centered technology, human-centered future. So we completely understand the idea here, Future Hacker, right? The thing is that this term has been troubling us when we take it to the other extreme, which is the more centered, selfish view of being human-centered. Would it mean like allowing us to do anything to make our own lives better against destroying the environment or excluding specific groups? Should we really be aiming at a human-centered, whatever, style, future at all? Uh, first of all, the strange thing is that the more we use technology, the more human we need to be. But it has its nice part. So I think that we definitely need to realize the importance of uh, human-centered leadership because What is human-centered leadership? It is taking into consideration your people's needs, your people's expectations, your people's uh, personal career goals, and your people's uh, unique personality, and not just take these into consideration, but do something about them and with them, so that your people are aligned with what you want to achieve. Gone are those days that We used to leave human emotions outside the factory, outside the company. This is not applicable anymore. We live in this era that we are very much allowed to be humans. And this is a great opportunity that we all need to take advantage of. So it's very important to act in this way, to take into consideration the human parts of your employees, if you want to have a sustainable business. And as long as we humans live in this uh, planet on Earth, it's us who produce, it's us who consume. So either we are employees, either we are business persons, business owners, or we are consumers, we do something to serve the rest of uh, the humanity, the, the rest of uh, the people at this world. So how can we operate without taking into consideration those things that are so important in life, like personal needs, like desires, like considerations, like personal dreams? We need to take them into consideration if we want to create something bigger and if we want to create something sustainable because we live in an era that we we need to be very considerate about what's coming next. Today was COVID. Tomorrow we have other threats to handle. And so following that line of taking humans in consideration, uh, we've, we have been covering a couple of times, you know, naturally about digital transformation. We're talking about the future. Uh, and you approach it in also a different, with different lenses. As you say that before you get into even the company strategy and, and, and the path, that this, there's an important changing mindset from the individual level as well. 
So could we cover that? Yes, of course. Digital transformation doesn't only have to do with changing uh, your systems and uh, becoming more digital in the way you do things. It regards a total change, a total shift in how society will operate in general. And this is a huge change. And there are so many decades that people used to work in a different way. So we, here we have also to handle the power of habit. We have millions of people who have developed a habit of working in another way that is not, does not correspond to digital, how we want to see it in uh, the era we live in. So first of all, we need to, to help people embrace this new situation, this new era, help them make a change management within them by working on developing various soft skills, soft skills that have to do with this new era, that has to do with growth mindset, for example, because they are going to face at the beginning challenges on using and operating new systems, challenges in understanding how things work nowadays. And because people in front of what it seems strange to them tend to go back to what they know very well, and this is old way of working, they will show great resistance to digital transformation and what comes next. So first, we need to help people embrace this change. Uh, we need to give them other motives. We need to understand what their fears are and help them overcome these fears in a productive and a positive way. You know what I love about that is because it's really rare for us when you're discussing about the digital transformation. We, we always focus, as you said, on the technology, on the system, on the processes, but we, we, we set aside the psychological side, right, of, of, of the people that are actually doing that, building that, or somehow they need to, to be convinced to be part of that as well. So following that line, and due to the characteristics of your clients, they're all high-level executives. You mentioned to me that most of them are men. I think you said that, you know, uh, eight out of 10 or something like that, right? So, yes, exactly. Within your public, uh, we've been covering so much about, you know, challenges about women in power. So I think it's really great to have the perspectives of most of the public that are still men uh, taking the, the seat. Which do you consider are the main challenges for this public when facing the challenges, you know, during those uncertain times. And if we could cover as well, what's currently their openness when treating mental health issues? Like, is this getting to be less of a taboo than it were on the past? And are people more able to open to talk about their fears? You know, how, how do you feel that when working with this public? I will break your question into parts, Maria, because I'm over 40 and I tend to, <laughs> to start forgetting. No, I'm joking, but I, I am over 40. So uh, as regards the first part, yes, most of my clients are men. I tend to believe in human empowerment. I don't want to make this gender separation. But the truth is that my clients are mostly men. And uh, let's say the biggest challenge they are facing is uh, that 
although we talk so much nowadays about authenticity and being your own self and having your own voice, etc., it's very nicely put in written and uh, on posts on social media, but in reality, they are really striving to fit in specific role models and specific images we have about what a successful high-level uh, leader should look like. And whenever they feel that actually their unique personality is not exactly what is expected, then they feel highly this imposter syndrome, that they don't belong actually there, that they are not enough, that they got there with the help of luck, they don't appreciate their achievements so far. So most of the times, no matter how high they have reached, they have very low self-confidence because of what is expected from them and how they are expected to be. So there is a specific type of a personality that they should be aligned with and look like this personality, they should talk like this personality, they should express themselves as a leader according to that personality. So where is their authenticity? And they try to, to hide their authenticity in order to get this external approval that they are the leaders everybody expects them to be. Now, uh, as, as regards the second part about mental health issues, I have to say that, again, we are lucky enough to live in an era where these issues can be easily discussed. And there are many famous people also from the business world who talk openly about mental health issues. And again, we embrace this openness and we are happy to see people who share their own problems and become a good example for the rest of us to follow. But again, there is um, difficulty in showing uh, vulnerability, showing that we are not perfect, and uh, there is still a long way to do towards this, this outcome. Yeah, but you know, as you you gave us a good example of of having the celebrities going out there and making it public because then it, it starts getting at least a little more acceptance. I remember that when we were talking as well, you mentioned ageism as a big uh, challenge as well, right? So how are you viewing this? And this is actually happily it's another topic that has been more common on the media and it's getting discussed, but still it's so hard for companies to either be investing and open of hiring. So how do you see this going? I think, Maria, and I'm afraid that all those very serious topics like ageism, like diversity and inclusion, like mental health issues, etc., are only embraced because they are nowadays very trendy. But we need to look at them very seriously because it's not about trend. It's about people behind every and each one of those issues and with ageism is the same and what i observe as a person but also as a professional is that all the initiatives started from uh, organizations all the initiatives started from governments only have to do with young people 
okay, I understand that technology, for example, is easier to be understood maybe by younger people and younger age groups. But what about the rest of the people? I mean, people of older age are also very capable. They have great skills. They have great experience that younger people don't have because this is how it goes. It's not something that we talk against it, but this is how it goes. When I was 18, I didn't have the same experience as I have now at my 44. And I think you would say the same. But all, uh, all the initiatives, all uh, the campaigns, uh, whatever is conducted nowadays, only is addressed to young people. And uh, we should look at this issue uh, very carefully and do something about it because we need to see that in this way we leave out a big group of people who have a lot to share and a lot to give through their experience and through their perspective as well. And not to forget, as I mentioned earlier, that they are also a huge part of consumers. So if we leave them outside as employees, we leave the perspective, huge perspective that, let's say, has the same perspective of the consumer of this age. I think that sometimes we forget that when talking about diversity, it's not only gender, not only a race, not only culture, it's also about age, right? And this group is still being left aside and which is the truth diverse team it should be considered all, all of the variables. Exactly. You said something that I, I really support. Diversity doesn't have to do with only those specific topics and characteristics. Diversity means that each one of us is different and unique. So diversity considers everyone and has to do with everyone. And if we approach it this way that it's not the other person who is different than me, I am different than other people, then we embrace diversity and inclusion because we are part of it. Great point. I absolutely love it. So, Valentina, I have a last question for you. Unfortunately, we're getting out of time. So we have a last point here that I'd love to know your take. So basically, and I don't know, at least here in, in Brazil, Latin America, business coaches, they have been getting recently a bad rap thanks to you know social media influencers and scammers and not only about business coaches, but many other things, right? So what's your advice for people looking for a coach for so they wouldn't fall into any traps and, you know, to make the right choice? Um, I would mention here three things. First of all, professional background and experience. If those points actually are connected with what the coach offers as service. Second, academic background and relevant studies. It's also important. And the third part has to do with personal qualities and authenticity of the coach. I mean, first of all, have a call, have a meeting, discuss with this person, see how this person handles you in the first call, meeting, etc. And see if you feel that you are a good fit because not everybody is for everybody <laughs> in this case as well. There must be chemistry, chemistry and trust that can be built only if you have a, the personal connection with the prospect coach. 
That's perfect, Valentina. Thank you so much. It was really lovely to have you with us today. If you'd like to share any final thoughts with the audience, uh, be my guest. But it was a real pleasure. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure as well. The time passed by without even uh, realizing it. Uh, the only thing I would like to mention is that I'm really approachable in many ways. You can find me on social media with my name, searching with my name, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever, Valentina Cordi. Or you can visit my website at valentinacordi.com and you can find out more information about me and what I do exactly with, with the business persons and the companies. Perfect. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future.